We're about to read the Bible, so if you want to get your Bibles out, you can turn to page 1646 of the Black Church Bibles, and we'll be reading from John, starting at chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. 
Now, if you're here today to see what church is like, I mean, it may be that you went to see a Franklin Graham this week and you thought, well, that's my local church. I'll call in there. Let me see what they're up to. I'm really pleased you've come because, you see, the Bible holds real answers to life's questions. Now, I've got quite an ambitious task, a whistle-stop tour of these first 34 verses. Don't panic. I'm not going to talk about every one of them. We'll be here far too long for that. What we're going to do is have a look at snapshots of those 34 verses. And what we're going to actually have up on the screen is the pages of this, the word one-to-one, which, as you're about to hear, is literally just a socially accessible format of John. It is John's gospel with notes per verse so that you could take this to your friends. Well, where did that come from? I need to take you back 12 years. And I need to take you back to a series of events which changed my life. I thought, like most Christians, I don't do evangelism. I get someone to do it for me, a professional. So I lined up a dinner which had my industry's top European broker, a friend of mine, the, the top European broker from the whole of Europe. And on this side of the table, Professor John Lennox from Oxford University. You know, the man that takes on Richard Dawkins, the prolific author, absolutely fantastic. He's got apologetics at his fingertips. And I thought, well, job done, Richard. Well done. Sit back, have a nice lunch or dinner, actually, and you'll watch your friend be converted in front of your very eyes. I thought, this is going to be easy. Well, what I watched, actually, was the mismatch finals at Wimbledon. Because what happened was that my non-Christian friend adored the intellectual challenge of firing a question over the dinner table to the good professor. And the good professor aced the ball back every single time with a biblical answer. But my friend, like most people today in a biblically ignorant age, had not a clue what the Bible said. So he didn't understand the answer. It actually went straight past him. So he just fired another intellectually interesting question because he found the whole thing so stimulating. Three and a half hours later, we decide that we should stop this dinner. My non-Christian friend turns to the good professor. He says, I found this so stimulating. Would you please come to another dinner? So we go through the whole thing again. Another three and a half hour dinner. Seven hours I've sat through of some of the best apologetics you're ever going to hear. And a complete mismatch. Total mismatch. But my friend intellectually thought it was wonderful. Well, I did this. I got to the end of seven hours, and I pulled out my white hanky, and I surrendered. Of course I've been praying for these meetings. Of course I've been praying that my friend would understand something about Christ. But he didn't understand what the Bible had to say. He'd never been shown it. He didn't understand it. So I actually blurted out, I'm really sorry, I don't want to do another one of these. And my friend turned on me and said, why? I find this brilliant when you bring John down from Oxford. I said, no, for the first time in your life, I found a subject you know nothing about. Now, don't beat yourself up, but you're biblically ignorant, like most people today, to be honest. And you can't be vaguer than what I'm about to say. I said, and I can't see any point in having another one unless we ask the good professor to come back to, quotes, open the Bible for you to show you where, quote, he's got this stuff from. Well, he was so shocked at my rudeness, he agreed to a third dinner. So we came for dinner number three. 
And this time, because the professor's a much brighter man than me, he'd printed out 18 verses for my friend to see. Those 18 verses were the first 18 verses we just heard read. John chapter 1, 1 to 18. Now, I now know, I didn't know then, that these verses are utterly unique in the whole of the Bible. In the SETI, I'd call it an executive summary. Everywhere else, I'd call it an overview. It's an overview. And my friend had never seen it before. And ladies, this is going to be dodgy because I, as a man, am about to try and do two things at once. That never ends well normally. I'm going to try and take you through what John's Gospel actually says for the first five... I can't do more than five verses like this because I'll fall over. I'll get it wrong. I'm going to then, at the same time, tell you how the dinner went. Okay, so bear with me. Let's see how this goes. And we're going to follow it as if you had now agreed to come to a cup of coffee with me. And we're going to be using the booklets as they now exist in this format the word one-to-one. By the way, nobody's making any money out of this. Yes, I am an insurance salesman. Do not write them off for that. All this is, is the gospel with notes. No one is making money out of these. These are as cheap as chips. Right, now here's how it goes. You're looking at this. I've got a copy of the booklet. You've got a copy of the booklet. My Bible is nowhere to be seen because unlike Chris, I am not a Bible teacher. Frankly, after 12 years of using this, I still fall off a cliff as soon as I leave the book of John. I know how to share John. I can page turn John. Got the picture? Right. You've got one. I've got one. And I say this to you. Now, this is a bit of a surprising start. Don't actually, uh, just cut me some slack. We actually need to go over the fact that the first 18 verses is an overview. So it's going to need some unpacking. Right. Here's what it says. You probably can't read it at the back, but I promise you, this is what the yellow sticky says. John's Gospel starts with an overview. So there's a lot in this section. Don't be surprised, it's going to need some unpacking. In other words, everything I said, you could have said because it's in the book. And what's more, transparently to your non-Christian friend, you have enough confidence in what you are telling them that you are not going to mind if he walks off with it. Very key point in today's society. You believe in what you're doing. Now, you probably thought when you agreed to have your cup of coffee with me that what you'd be doing is you'd be looking at baby Jesus. You know, we'd be in Bethlehem, there'd be a very smelly stable and some really stinky shepherds and a baby. Well, it's a bit of a surprising start, that's not where we start. No, this is the sticky down here. You might find this a surprising start. No angels, no Bethlehem, no stable, no baby Jesus, no wise men. Everything I said, you can say. Now, we'll turn over, and this is what the notes look like. By the way, did you notice they're all denim blue? Well, that's because you can be a prince or a prisoner, and you feel comfortable in your jeans. And the whole point about this is not that you turn up with your Bible as if you're the criminal from the James Bond movie, and you're stroking the cat, this beloved Bible that you love. I can't do that because I don't know the Bible. What you're turning up with is something which is socially acceptable and accessible to your friend. They don't feel uncomfortable with this little booklet. Right, on the left-hand side are the first five verses of John. What you say to your non-Christian friend is, would you like to just read that to yourself? Can I just stress that? Because only Christians read out loud. 
You've fallen in love with the Word of God, so you like reading it out loud. I've been in business 44 years. No one has ever said to me, we are now going to read the contract out loud. doesn't happen, okay? (laughs) Only Christians read out loud. So don't ask them to read out loud. Just ask them to read it. And then explain to them, look, your job, my job is I'm going to bring this alive for you by running you through the notes as you can follow me doing it as I go through this on the right-hand side of the page. So we've had the reading, and we're back to the dinner now. This is how the dinner went. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, you don't seriously believe there was a beginning, do you? I've read Richard Dawkins. There's no beginning. Well, said the professor, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And did you notice the Word was with God and was God? Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. And my friend said, hang on a minute. Are you telling me that God is not an amorphous mass? Well, no, said the professor. It says he. He was with God in the beginning. God is personal. We got to verse 3. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, husbands, be honest. How many of you, when you get the new car open the glove box and get the book out. Because I don't. My wife of 36 years is forever saying, look, just, just for once, get the instructions from the maker out and have a look so that we know what this thing does. Don't wait till there's a crisis. Can you just read what the maker has to say? The maker's instructions are probably quite good. Well, that's what most people actually think about the Bible. They think there's probably some good stuff in it. There's probably some answers. And my friend, whose nickname was Golden Tonsils in my industry, he got to this and he mumbled because he read it and he absolutely understood it straight off. Through him all things were made. Answer. And we got to verse 4 and it said this, In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Yeah, The maker knows how you can live to your full. There's a revelation. And my friend understood it, but nobody had ever shown him before. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Here are life's answers. And literally, not literally, metaphorically, my friend's jaw hit the dining room table and it stayed there. Because for the first time in his life, he was being shown the promises of God, and he understood them. And then verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's right. That's why you're sitting in this church today. There are more Christians today than there have ever been. Now, this is, can I point out, this is actually a skeleton conversation. And you can dress this as you go. Because the Lord will probably put into your mind, dear Christian, something from your own experience where you remember something that you might want to say. So, for example, I often say here where it says, 2,000 years later, the light of the word shines more brightly than ever before. I ask my friend, do you know what's been going on in China? No, Richard, I don't. Well, let me tell you. In 1954, Mao Zedong kicked out all of the missionaries. He wanted to eradicate Christianity on behalf of communism. And frankly, the missionary societies thought, well, that's it. We'll have to cross China off the map. But the missionaries, as they left, left their Bibles behind. And 15 years ago, we started to get access into China. And what did we discover? 
Well, we didn't discover large buildings with men wearing fancy pairs of curtains with big balls of incense going backs and forwards. We didn't have any of that. We found a people who had fallen in love with the word of God. It was illegal, and they were underground as a church, but they were Bible-centric. They loved the word. And as they've had more access to the word, their numbers have rocketed. Today, about 100 million and climbing. In fact, these little books, which are printed in China, illegal in China to read, are downloaded on the internet so much that the government blocked the website. Then they release it for a bit and then they block it again. Phenomenal. So did you know that? Now, I've got to tell you, I love Australia. I was in St. Ives. And I said that at a talk like this, and a woman came up to me. She said, I'm so pleased you told the story about the Bibles in China. She said, my family were one of the families that got a missionary Bible. She said, let me tell you what we thought of it. We had never seen paper that luxurious. It was incredibly luxurious. So we cut the binding off the back because we had a room that we wanted to redecorate. And we cut it into individual sheets. She said, I can now tell you, they chose the gospel. They chose a gospel. That's what they managed to get. And as they stuck it on the wall, they read it. And by the time they got to the end of the decorating of that room, my two relatives had been solidly converted by the word. She said, I'm the third generation to my family that's been converted by the Bible room. Now, look, I'm very th- I am in insurance. I am very thick. I said, that's a brilliant story. And it wasn't until I was in the car going back into the city that I suddenly realized, hang on a minute, (laughs) generation one read both sides before they stuck it to the Bible, to the wall. Generations two and three have been converted by 50% of the gospel because the other 50% stuck to the wall. But it's the word of God. It doesn't go out empty. And here she was standing in front of me. She said, I'm 58 years old. I've been converted by the Bible room. Do you see that? Now let's jump on again. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now where's Chris? Up here, my dear chap. Now look, bit of a surprise for you. The queen gave me a letter. I do know her. The queen gave me a letter before I left for you. Now, this is, everybody's going to be seriously not surprised by the first thing she wrote. Chris, you have done nothing to deserve this. Now, we all agree that. But what she goes on to say is, Chris, I have decided to adopt you into my family. Would you please try the royal wave? You are now Prince Chris. Wave as you go to sit down. Sorry about that. Now, let me read this verse again. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, I'd suggest to you that's a bit better than being adopted into the royal family of the British, British household, don't you? The creator of the universe has said that you can be a prince or a princess in the kingdom of heaven for eternity. And once more, he says that Jesus has the right to do that. You see, the slight problem is, if I actually had brought that letter and the Houses of Parliament heard about it tomorrow morning, there would be a bit of an issue. Because for a start, they began, the old girl's lost it. She can't go issuing letters of adoption to some Australian. 
of Australian, of all... I mean, how we can't have that? Rescind the letter, they'd say. The old girl has lost it. Whereas this is absolutely all-inspiring. He has the right. Well, of course he does. He's the creator of the universe. So if you're in business today, let me ask you, how important is it to you now how much money you make this year? What's your bonus really worth to you? Is it how you view your worth? Because you're now adopted into God's family for eternity. Your father is the equivalent of a multi-trillionaire. If you're out of work today, listen, you're only passing through here. It's like that long in relation to eternity. You're a prince or a princess in the kingdom of heaven for eternity. That's how wonderful it is to be a Christian. Do you see that? Adopted into his kingdom. Born of God, a child of God. God. Now, at 63, I've taken this body on holiday. I rub the cream on that my wife gives me. My daughters in their 30s now give me vitamin tablets, apparently, to keep me going. The answer is, as I said earlier, I am shorter, actually, than when I got married. And the the, the day's going to come when this suit is going to hit the floor and Elvis will have exited the building. And if you've ever seen a dead person, you know that this is not the real me. It's not. I have a soul. And if you've ever seen a dead suit on the floor, you know Elvis has exited the building. That's just the suit. It's not the real you. Well, perhaps the time has come that actually you need to invest in yourself. If this is all new to you, perhaps you should think about looking at the maker's instructions. I'm just going to leave it hanging there. Perhaps you could know a piece that passes all understanding, because that's what Christians are able to say for eternity. Let's move on again. Verse 17, I'm not going to get that up on the slides, because it's on a big, too big a page. But here's what verse 17 said. We had it read earlier. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth Well, they came through Jesus Christ. It actually takes John 17 verses before he tells you that the word is Jesus. And what he says is grace and truth. Now, I bet they were thinking they were waiting for their Messiah. They'd waited over a thousand years. They thought he was going to ride in in power and might. No, no. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. And by the way, the truth is is the truth. We're not on the Mark 9 version of the gospel 2,000 years later. We're still on the historically proven original version of the gospel. What you're reading today is what John wrote. It hasn't changed. But be honest, have you been living your life thinking it's all about being good enough? You know, well, look, I try my best. You know, in a politically correct society, we're absolutely convinced that we're going to get an interview from God when we die. You know, here's how it would go, something along these lines. Oh, Lord, I've been preparing my file of self-justification. Um, I, I knew you were going to give me an interview, so my mother, my mother's written a letter to you saying I was a good boy. She wrote that before she died. Now, now look, Lord, take your time over the next section because it's an Excel spreadsheet of absolutely everything I ever gave away. So take your time. When I was fitter, well, clearly fitter than I am now because I'm dead. But when I was fitter, I ran the marathon and I gave every penny away, every dollar. 
So please take your time over that, Lord. Um, Just go through that. And then here is a section from my wife. My wife has written to you. Actually, Lord, I think we'll just pass over that. Here's what the children say. You see, my name's not Robert Mugabe. I'm not Adolf Hitler. Surely I tried my best and that is good enough. Well, let's just jump out of John 1 and let's go into John 5. You see, John 5, 23 is a huge privilege. 23 and 24, huge privilege to tell your friends. Because here's what it says. If I have not honored the Son, I can't be right with the Father. It's all about Jesus and it always has been about Jesus. Now listen, if I took one of my daughters to the hospital and said, I'm really sorry, darling, I gave you birth. And well, I didn't actually, your mother did. But I'm taking you to the hospital. The time's up. I need your heart. Because I'm going to go over to this friend of mine over here. He's dying of a bad heart. And I need your good one to give to my friend. So, sorry, darling. So I then exit the hospital with one of those medical bags that's got my daughter's heart. And I turn up at Mike's doorstep. I say, Mike, I know you've got a dicky heart, mate. The time has come for you to take my daughter's heart, this healthy heart, down to the hospital. Get that put into you. You'll be sorted out. Now, if Mike turned around to me and said, well, Richard, that's amazing. But actually, I've decided to try alternative medicine." Well, I'd kill him for a start. Why do you think that God would treat you any differently if you turned around and said, well, thanks very much for sending your son to die on the cross for me, but actually I've decided to try a different way? Do you see how important it is to tell your friends exactly what the word says? It's all about Christ. It always has been about Christ. Let's jump forward again. We'll go to verse 23. And at this stage, as we heard read, John the Baptist is being quizzed by the religious leaders, the the synagogues have sent people out, the the government has sent representatives out. I mean, Franklin Graham coming to town would have looked like nothing in relation to John. We'd have all been out in the desert. He'd have been all over NBC News, ABC News, BBC News, CNN. He'd have been on the front page of the Jerusalem Times. He'd have been on Twitter. Everybody wants to know what this This is clearly a prophet sent by God. And he says this. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Yep, we get that. You're a prophet sent by God. Then he says this. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now I used to read that exactly I've just read it. Make straight the way for the Lord. I don't think now... And the great thing about going through the gospel is every single page is like this. I don't think now that's how that would have been received by the the, uh, Israelites of its day. I'll read it again. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, here's what they'd have done. Hang on a minute. That is what Isaiah said 700 years ago would be said before the coming of our Savior. And in the age of the triumph, so... Assyrians, Babylonians, uh, Greeks, Romans. If you were an emperor or a king or a general and you had a successful battle and you came back with all the booty of war, they would often tell you, wait outside the city, we're going to build a highway into the city so you can parade. We're going to have a triumph. And when we actually look at what is it that uh, Isaiah said in verse 3 of chapter 40, my goodness me, look at this. 
Isaiah 40, verse 3 tells us exactly of this moment. Prepare the way for the Lord, a highway for our God. Now read it again. Make straight the way for the Lord. Yes, the warm-up act to Jesus is shouting in the desert, he's coming. There's only one Jew, I would suggest to you, in a land occupied by the Romans that could possibly be that senior that you'd think about holding a triumph. Do you see? And actually, once you've now got that into your head, you will never read that verse the same way again, and you will get excited when you explain that to your friends. Let's move on. Let's have another look at one. Verses 26 and 27. He's still out in the desert, and John says this, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. See, Jesus hasn't yet appeared. He's not there. He's, he's, he's hidden. So they're all focused on John. I baptize with water, which was a normal, recognized call to repent, to turn from your sins, but have them washed away. But among you stands one you do not know. Wait for it. I'm going to read it the way I used to read it. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Now, I don't read it like that now, because my minister, William Taylor, who I think has come and preached here, he taught me what that actually means. Now, let's go back 2,000 years. There's no, there's no asphalt, no tarmac. We've got very dusty streets. Right down the middle of the street is an open sewer. You've got bullock carts walking through on the streets. You've got donkeys. There's wild dogs. And you, like the people of Adelaide, have decided to wear your thongs. Well, that's a cracking good idea. So you turn up at my house, and quite frankly, your feet are disgusting. So I've given to the very lowest servant in my house the job of taking you into the side room to unstrap your sandals and to wash your feet so that you're going to be good enough to be able to come into the house. Right, let's read it again. Everybody's gone to see this prophet sent by God. He's the main act. He's absolutely awesome. And he says, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Do you see? He says, I'm not even worthy to start the process of washing his feet. Well, there's only one Jew, I would suggest to you, he can possibly be talking about. He's saying, the Savior is coming, the Messiah, the one you've waited all this time, the Son of God. And frankly, when the Son of God turns up, I don't even think I could start undoing his straps. Do you see? Well, you'll never explain that any other way now you've seen it to your friends, and they need to see it. It is no surprise now to me that every single person I've shared the Gospel of John with over 12 years says this. Richard, why has no one ever shown me this before? I had one man, had, he said this. He said, I've, wanted, had, I've had one of the most expensive educations that money can bring. How come I've never seen this? And the reality is, because let's be honest, most of us have never known how. Well, now you got the how, because everything I'm saying is in this simple booklet format for you to take to your friends over a cup of coffee. Let's move on. We get to verse 29, and he can't help himself. So Jesus hasn't yet appeared, and there is John. He's talking to the crowd, and suddenly he does this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look. The Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. Now, again, I've read that the way I used to read it. Bit of emphasis, not a lot. Now let's unpack it, because someone unpacked it for me. Someone like Chris taught me, now I can share it. Look, ah, a unique title, the Lamb of God. Well, if you know your Old Testament with the story of Moses, you know that to get the Israelites released out of Egypt, God sent, he said to them, take a sinless, spotless lamb, take it into the house for at least three or four days so that your eldest child bonds, your eldest son bonds with that lamb. Let him look after it inside the house. And then at, at the right moment, I'm afraid the lamb's got to die. Slit the lamb's throat, kill the sinless, spotless lamb of God, and put the blood on the door so that the angel of death will fly over and your, your eldest son will live. That's the picture. Well, that's in the books for you to explain to your friend. Now we'll go back to the phrase. Look, the lamb of God. In four words flat, he says, see that man over here? He's come to die. The lamb, sacrifice. Of God, sent by God. To do what? Not just take the save, save the life of your eldest son. Take away the sins of the world. Well, your friends do need to see this. This is momentous news. So literally, he sees Jesus for the first time. He says, that man there, he's come to die. He's a sacrifice. Why? Because the sin of the world needs to be taken away. Fantastic. And then finally... We get to verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Well, it's a phrase that would mean only one thing to the Jews. At last, the Son of God has come. To do what? To die for each of us who put our trust in him so that we may be right, adopted into his kingdom for eternity, into his family. Now, what happens when we share the gospel? Well, I repeat what they've said to me. And isn't this damning, actually, of us who are here who are Christians? Why? Has no one ever shown me this before? Well, because probably you've been running away from the world, especially in the last 20 years, where increasingly you're told you're politically incorrect. You've been running away from the world, not actually able to share the word like Chris could. Well, now you can. And actually, don't you expect that when you do... The Lord will be with you. You see, you don't build the church. God builds his church. Evangelism, it's not about you. It's all about the power of the word. It always has been. It is the word, the truth. So when we actually get the truth out, our friends, well, their lives are transformed. Not by anything you say, but by what the word says. One quick story. A friend of mine, Martin, I bought coffee for for 18 months. And finally, one day, Martin rang me up and he said, Richard, I'd like to buy you a coffee. I thought, that's great. Okay, fine. So I went for a coffee and he sat down and he said this. He said, Richard, I've knelt at the foot of the cross. I said, I can now call you brother. That's wonderful. I said, what took you there? And he said, well, it was nothing you said. 18 months of meeting with him, it was nothing you said. He, said. he said, actually, I just could not get out of my mind. In the beginning was the word. That's what drove him to the cross. And it was then the word of John that told him who the word was, what the word had come to do, how the word had actually died on the cross for him, how he had defeated death, 
risen and then offered him a living relationship with Christ, with himself. And actually, that's what Martin said, he's now God. God. And he turned to me and said, it was nothing you said. What a relief. What a huge relief. It's not about you. You do not build the church. It is the word that builds the church. So let's just quickly go over what these books are again. They are in a socially accessible and acceptable format. The English used is as easy as it possibly can be, which is why many countries have got them as long as English is in the top four languages. In Chinese, simplified and traditional, you can download them on the internet so that you can use them on your iPad because you can't get the books. What does it do? Well, it reverses what we do in church. It puts at the end of each episode, and they are like an episode because to your friends, it's like a box set. They haven't got a clue what comes in the next episode. So there's 38 episodes for 21 chapters. And we put at the end of each episode the reading we would have had in church like we had it today. But for a non-Christian, the normal person today who is biblically ignorant, like my friends, they'd have glazed over by line two or three, however well it was read. So actually, it needs to be broken down just into a few verses or even one verse on the page I'm looking at, one verse at a time, and then I've got really good questions but answers, because I'm not embarrassing anybody, to go here. Okay, Richard, just tell me again, how do you ask someone? Well, listen, with so many going on, and there's over 75,000 of these flying around and countless downloads on the internet, they're not all asking them like some demented insurance exec does. I'll tell you how I do it, but this may not be how you do it. I simply have been saying to my friends, look, haven't you always thought that one day you'd read the book that sold more copies than any other? It's the Bible. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you actually expect there's probably some good stuff in it? Now, did you notice I didn't mention church? Because they're not thinking about church. Did I mention Christ? No. They're not really thinking about Christ. My friends are not ready to go on a Christianity Explored course or Christianity Explained course. They're not there yet. Actually, if I'm always wrong as to why they will finally say yes and actually it will be that actually God's at work in their hearts. Something is going on that they're unsettled over. They're realizing they haven't got the answer to life. Back to the question. So all I've said is two facts. The Bible sold more hip books than, the, than any other in the history of printing and, and literally, question two, I, I do believe there's probably good stuff in the Bible. Well, there's one book that happens to start with an overview. It's just 18 verses, and I've got these great notes that happen to be a global phenomena, and I'm really excited about it. Can I show you, over a cup of coffee, those 18 verses? All I will say is, did you enjoy that, and would you like to meet again? Now, the two questions are deliberate before they've even said yes. Did you enjoy that? They know how it's going to end. All I'm going to say is, did you enjoy it? And therefore, would you like to meet again? And the reason I'm saying that, because anything else would be presumptuous, and actually, we now know from around the world that over 90% of the people that you will do that first 18 verses with will turn around to you and say, yeah, that's amazing. I will see you again. I had no idea that's what the Bible actually said. Quite extraordinary. So here's the challenge to you today. Have you let your faith be too much about you? Have you been running away from the world like I used to do to get to church, to go, survived another week, please plug me in the spiritual mains? 
with an expectation that I will then drain out once I unplug at the end of the service. Well, I don't do that now, as I've said before, because I've now got the how, and I now go out and discover where God is already at work. And around the world, one in five of the people you ask say, yes, I'll have that cup of coffee. One in five. We're actually running, here's the stats for me, I've been at it 12 years, I've only had 11 people in 12 years, less than one a year, and I do a lot of this, who actually have read the first 18 verses and didn't want to have them to meet again. But a quarter of all the one-to-ones I do are with people who said no and who then came back. I, I asked a friend called David, my rationale, he was going through a messy divorce. He didn't come back. So I wrote him off, I moved on. It's not my job to worry about it. I'm just out there to be a fool for the Lord. One in five are going to say yes. Well, David came back with a one-line email. The time has come for me to do the notes. So I went to his office. I said, where did that come from? He said, Richard, I was on the treadmill in the gym and I realized I was on the treadmill of my life and I haven't got any answers. And there's just one book I thought's probably got some answers in it. And the only guy I know is you. So I thought I'd ask you to show me. The Lord had prepared him and the Lord has helped that man become a Christian. It's not down to you, it's not down to me. So listen, if you're a Christian here today, here's the challenge. Get a set of the book. You have to have a Bible in the right format to be able to use it, don't you? So actually, we've brought some. Don't make us go back with them, please. They're as cheap as chips. Get one or order one if we run out, which normally happens. You'll be buying the first four chapters of John. You've got two book ones, one for you, one for your friend, two book twos, two book threes. That will cover the first four chapters. You're going to spend way more on the coffee, especially in Australia, than you will on the books. Two, pray and ask the Lord for names and ask the names in the next 10 days. At least two people in the next 10 days. Now, I'm regularly told, the reason I now have added that to my talks is because I got so fed up with people like you coming up to me afterwards. As, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, I could do that with George. Because the law will have put some names into your mind. It could well be the case. Where you think, oh, at last, I could take this. By the way, if you're retired, you adore this. Because you know your friends have got time for a cup of coffee. And frankly, you know your friends are not at peace and haven't worked out life's answers. And don't tell me you can't do it. The, the, the current top trump is a woman in Sydney of 96. She's doing it with her 96-year-old friend. I have to say, she's not my favorite. My favorite is the woman of 93 who is stuck in bed with carers. She pulls, her daughter told me this. She said, my mother's turned into an absolute Oscar-winning actress. She pulls the same stunt every time she gets a non-Christian uh, carer. And she's currently got, apparently, a Thai Buddhist nurse. And here's what she did, according to the daughter. Oh, excuse me, dear. Please, could you read this to me? Well, the Thai Buddhist had never seen the Bible before. She's currently absolutely hooked on the next episode of John. She can't wait to come back. Apparently, she comes in straight away. Let's get down to looking at the word one-to-one. Don't be surprised that you will discover the Lord has got you ready to be active. One 79-year-old lady came up to me. She said, I have been employed. I'm now in the Great Commission. 
Well, I mean, frankly, this woman thinks she is Billy Graham, the new one. She's out having coffees with as many people as she can get her hands on. I had an eight, I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately going down this route because it's taken my mind. An 89-year-old, he's doing seven one-to-ones. A retired accountant doing 14 one-to-ones. On fire for the Lord. Do you remember what you were like when you first became a Christian? Would you like to be like that again? Well, it won't be about you. It'll be about the Lord at work through you. Just be a page-turner and see the Spirit at work. You do have to be bold enough to be a fool for the Lord to invite your friend for the coffee. You've got to do that. Then watch the Lord work. If, on the other hand, this is all completely new to you, then, well, I really hope you found this interesting. And I would suggest that perhaps you too are worth, it's worth investing in yourself, as I said earlier, the real you. Perhaps it would make sense to have a cup of coffee to look at the maker's instructions, to get a piece that passes all understanding. Perhaps that would be a really good idea. Don't you buy the books. Ask Chris and line you up with someone to have a cup of coffee, okay? Perhaps that would be a good idea to do that. Let's pray. In him is life, and that life is the light of all mankind. The light shines and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much that you came to die and rise again for each one of us and for giving us the gift of your spirit to conduct your great commission, to take your word to the unique circle of friends that you've given each and every believer. Embolden us, Lord, to do just that. Or if we don't know you yet, then help us not miss this opportunity to at least look into your word. Help us in our unbelief to see what you have to say for our lives as you express your love for us through your word. Amen. You know, at an event like this, People often say to me, well, what would it look like to actually become a Christian? And in the back of the word one-to-one is a short prayer. I've printed it off because you may not feel you're ready to pray that yet, but you might be interested to see what it would look like. So just come and help yourself. Nobody will embarrass you or talk to you. Just take one off there. Perhaps the prayer for you is, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And then see what he does as you start looking at the word of God. Thank you very much.